right, the start of something special right here, man. Let's go. Number one fantasy player right here. Got past the line. Shut up. Know the rules. I just want to say this to you. Right now, best in the game. I know. Welcome to the PAT Fantasy Football Podcast, also known as Pod After Touchdown. I am your host, Andrew Mackins, joined by, or joined with, joined, joined by, by my co-host, Sam Hoppin. Nice to be here, Andrew. Thanks for remem- remembering me. It is good to be here. It is our last draft prep episode, and then we are full on into the regular season. I thought we were going to cut that part out, because, but uh, Sam was so excited, like a puppy dog. Uh, so excited, so <laughs> excited, so excited, so excited. Almost a week away from drafting, so uh, I'm glad you're prepared for today. Uh, but we've all got our notes up as usual. We are going to start with our kickoff question, then Reddit post of the week, and the meat of the show will be players that we've changed our uh, tune on over the course of these 12 episodes now. Yeah, you know, you got to go into the car shop and get a little tune-up, you know, make sure everything's uh, checking along right. So we're going to give you some guys that we may have been high on that we're a little bit lower on now, or some guys that we were low on and are higher on now, or just guys that we've totally changed our opinion on. Uh, but look forward to doing that. So why don't we get into our kickoff question so we can get through all this fabulous content and this game is underway. What's your top pre-draft tip? Andrew, we've got, you know, obviously last weekend was one of the biggest weekends in fantasy football drafting. Unfortunately, Andrew Luck retired and Lamar Miller <laughs> tore his ACL yeah. on that same day. Um, but there will also be a lot of drafts this upcoming Labor Day weekend. So what's, what's one thing you want to leave our listeners with before they head into their drafts? Yeah, so one of the great things about doing a draft the weekend before Labor Day weekend is that if you have more drafts during actual Labor Day weekend, that you know what to not mess up the second time around. Uh, And the tip that I'm going to bring based on my experience from last weekend is to not forget to stay water, don't get stuck in a given strategy or get stuck just looking at your ranking sheet when you're in the middle of your draft and make sure to take stock of your team as you're going throughout. Uh, my draft on Saturday was a live draft. We had 10 of us in the same room. Uh, there was some uh, spirits being passed around, uh, a couple of different beers as well. And so you got a you, little bit distracted. I got a little is bit that, distracted, what happened here? but it also didn't help that this draft lasted four and a half hours. So we were getting into the double digit rounds and I've said this before that ultimately those double digit rounds won't matter in the grand scheme of things but if you want to stay sharp you want to get absolutely like a 100% lock player that you love in every round you got to make sure that you're being agile staying water and not getting stuck in either your sheet your ranking sheet or a given strategy um did the did Jadavian Clowney get traded or something? Is it the, the uh, no, notification? Just, no? just some uh, other news coming through, but we're all good. Okay, so anyway, the reason I, I want to stress to stay water is because I was getting towards the late rounds and I didn't have a lot more skilled players listed. Uh, this The guys I was drafting with were pretty sharp. They were taking guys like Darwin Thompson in the seventh round, Michael Gallup, like Jesus. way higher than uh, normal. 
And, you know, based on that, a lot of the guys I was expecting to draft in the double digit rounds weren't there. I took Golden Takes. He's one of the last receivers on uh, my big board in the 11th round, which I thought was a pretty good value. But I also have AJ Green, which isn't great in terms of being able to evaluate a roster early on in the season. So I didn't like that as much. And I also drafted three quarterbacks because I couldn't pass up the value. So value-based drafting, again, that's great in certain aspects, but just make sure that you're adapting to what's actually happening with your team. Because I did not last week. (laughs) Clearly, yeah. Uh, And now we're going to give you a ton more advice after Andrew just explained all that stuff. But I think part of that, too, is not worrying about ADP. I mean, the first round or two it's a little bit more telling but once you get into round six seven eight throw adp out the window and just say screw it draft the guys you want my big draft tip is don't draft handcuffs don't draft them because you think you need a handcuff you are handcuffing yourself to a shitty team if you do that the you know if you get todd Gurley, don't grab daryl henderson just because you have todd Gurley. if daryl henderson drops to the 15th round, sure, snatch him up, but don't grab him because you have Todd Gurley. I think the example is, well, if Todd Gurley stays healthy the entire year and you drafted Daryl Henderson, then you get nothing. If you draft Todd Gurley and you also draft Darwin Thompson, who you just mentioned, and Damian Williams gets injured, then you have two starting running backs on your team. So Mm -hmm. it's, again, don't draft handcuffs unless... Again, there's value for that player because, again, there will be a situation in which you draft two players from the same backfield, but don't do it just because you drafted another guy earlier. But why don't we get into our Reddit post of the week? I'll let you start. Take this out. Yeah, so this one comes from user slash. Uh, it's literally 12 underscores, so if you guys want to look look that guy up, you can. Uh, and his Reddit post says, let's talk about popular high upside wide receiver picks. Why won't X wide receiver break out? And I think this is a good point. We might have brought this up in a previous Reddit post talking about, you know, this is the, these are some guys that Reddit community, community might be high on, but they're not all these guys are going to break out. So you have to plant your flag on some guys and... I thought we could use this list of receivers to just pick someone out that we think is the most likely to uh, not break out and be more of a disappointment. Now, there's a lot of, these are like fifth round, sixth round guys. Uh, so Chris Godwin, Kenny Galladay, Tyler Boyd, Calvin Ridley, uh, a few others in that grouping. Who would you say, Sam, is you know that you're avoiding from that group? Yeah, I mean, for me, my eye instantly goes towards Sterling Shepard. I just... I'm not a fan of anything on this Giants offense outside of Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram. Like, yeah, he did pretty well when OBJ was hurt last year and in years past, but I don't, you know, as many dimes as Daniel Jones has been throwing, I don't trust this team to be producing that great of an offense. Yeah, for me, I think it's Kenny Galladay. I brought this up early on in our... Uh, you know, series of episodes. And I think that it's one of those things where, uh, you know, Tyrion Lannister says, just because you believe something is true doesn't mean that it's actually true. And everyone wants Kenny Galladay to be Babytron, 
but that doesn't mean that it's going to happen this year. They're more of a run-heavy offense, so that's the idea behind what's what's happening in Detroit. And so I think it's going to be harder for him to break out, especially at that earlier ADP amongst this group. So uh, I have kind of stuck the same uh, in terms of my opinion on Kenny Galladay. Yeah, so for my Reddit post, this one is a little bit more specific to one team and a couple players than some of the other ones we pointed out. And, and this post was from the user 0-14. And he points out that on the Saints opening drive in their preseason game a couple days ago, Drew Brees marched 70, 72 yards down the field, went 5 for 7, and a touchdown pass to Michael Thomas. And all 72 of those yards were accounted for by Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara. This team is stacked at the top. And those, in my opinion, are the only two guys that you want on your team. Jared Cook might show some flashes throughout the year. But this team is going to be driven by Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. They are the two best players on their team. They are the two best players, two of the best players at their position. And they're both going in the first round for a reason. Because... They excel, you know, Drew Brees fell off a little bit at the end of 2018, but Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara are still going to be absolutely fantastic. So again, I think if, if you're investing anything more than just, you know, picks in Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas into the Saints offense, you're totally doing it wrong. Yeah, you're throwing darts at best. And so it's really, really hard to find, you know, which dart is most likely to hit for any third option there. So let's move on to the meat of our show. And again, this is kind of shoring up all of our draft prep from our episodes uh, through the summer. This is going to be our last episode before the, uh, you know, everyone's going to be have drafted by the next time you hear us like a week from now. So we want you guys to know here's really where we stand on players that we've either talked about before or you know, that have really become more prominent in our headspace. And so I'll go first, and let's start at the QB position. Uh, Lamar Jackson. I think there's been enough coverage about Lamar Jackson. Lamar I think, who? I think, I think Sam Lamar knows who? who Lamar Jackson is. Um, and, I, and I really think the biggest point that would make me want to draft Lamar Jackson is that he has a great opening schedule. He plays the Cardinals. I believe he plays the Dolphins. And one more shitty team in there. like, And those are some bad defenses where I think they can still exploit that uh, with this multifaceted ground game that's built to Lamar Jackson's skills. Uh, and the best thing is, despite all this coverage, his ADP doesn't seem to have moved that much. So that's a guy where I'd still, you know, he's in the double-digit rounds. I would be more than willing to take a flyer on him. Yeah, it... There was something that he said today is actually, you know, he wanted to throw the ball upwards of 30 times a game this season, which mm -hmm. well, essentially hurt his value because a bunch of his value was in the running game, the running ability that he has. So I, I'm curious if, you know, whether you saw that or, or if that's something that you would take into consideration. I'm curious as to how high you would even go to take a guy like this because I've seen him drafted as high as the eighth round and falling as low as the twelfth round. Like, are you, are you, is he just a flyer guy for you, or is he firmly entrenched as a guy that you would be comfortable sticking with at this point? 
Yeah, so for me, I'm probably not going any earlier than like the mid to late ninth round. Uh, I really like seeing him taken in double digit rounds in those leagues where people are really waiting on quarterback. And if I'm taking him, I'm probably grabbing a second quarterback as a uh, insurance if he really if the floor bottoms out right away. I know, again, this is a situation where you want to stay watered, like we mentioned before, just where you might be able to wait later if everyone's waiting on quarterback. But if people are taking quarterback early and Lamar Jackson's ADP gets forced up in that league, I might just you know ignore it and wait for someone else later so I can pick up all these other uh, you know running backs and wide receivers that are getting left on the board. Yeah, so I think my guy is someone who I actually would be okay investing an early draft pick in and that's Deshaun Watson I I think he has solidified himself as the number two quarterback the fact that Lamar Miller is now gone because the ACL and quick side note like for all you people that drafted Lamar Miller you should be happy because now you don't have to have that mediocrity (laughs) on your team anymore and you can just dump that waste this says nothing about Lamar Miller the person but come on why would you spend a draft pick on him, but the defense won't be as good for Deshaun Watson. They lost Tyran Matthew. They might be losing Jadavion Clowney. They have one of the toughest schedules in the NFL, but their passing schedule against opposing defenses is actually fantastic. So the offense is going to have to run through Deshaun Watson. Duke Johnson, while some may think he can be a workhorse back, has never shown it. They'll likely bring in another guy. And you look at the receiving options on this team. I mean, he's got DeAndre Hopkins, the best receiver in the NFL, Will Fuller, and Kiki Q2, who, have, who both, if they stay healthy, will be fantastic options for him. So I think he has just firmly entrenched himself as the second quarterback behind Patrick Mahomes. And I would even consider taking him in the late fourth, early fifth, mm-hmm. if he falls to me, because... He's, he's that guy who could be a difference maker. And you have three or four other guys on your team already to sort of build around as opposed to Patrick Mahomes. If you're taking him in the second, you only have one other player on our team at that point. And again, I don't, I don't necessarily know if Watson has as high a ceiling as Mahomes, but his rushing ability, though not nearly as prevalent as Jackson's, certainly gives him a very high floor for him to perform this year. Yeah, I'd love to see them throw 40 times a game. And if that line is a sieve like it usually is, maybe he'll be scrambling uh, a bit too. So I like that take. He's solidified for me as well as number two QB. Um, But here's our last QB. Just quickly, I know I've mentioned a lot of hashtag Bears offense in the past and uh, Mitchell Trubisky is going to be, you know, leading the helm or helming that offense. But my belief in the offense is really in Matt Nagy creating opportunities more so than Trubisky's actual talent. Uh, and I think that, you know, maybe again, if this is in the late rounds and you're grabbing two guys, so you know, like, well, one of these guys is going to pop. I would still have Mitchell Trubisky in that area, but I'm not. I'm not ready to just plant my flag and die on that hill because I could totally see him still sucking. You know, he he came from UNC, doesn't have like the best pedigree. Um, and so there's a lot of QBs to choose from. I think Mitchell Trubisky is one of those guys. Yeah, and you talk about guys with, 
and their early season schedule. I mean, they play the Packers, who in the past haven't had a great defense, but they have a lot of new weapons on yeah. defense. They have Adrian Amos, who was on the Bears, so probably knows a lot of Trubisky's tendencies. They play the Broncos in Week 2. The Redskins, for all of their faults, have a decent secondary with Josh Norman. Then they play the Vikings in Week 4. So, again, I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I never was really a big fan of Mitchell the Bitchell. So, <laughs> I, I, I'm i totally with you. And, again, I, I'd be more focused on the Bears' running game than Mitch Trubisky. Yeah. And uh, speaking of running games, let's move on to the running back position and talk about a couple guys that you uh, have changed your tune on. Yeah, so one guy I actually mentioned earlier in the episode, on you know, not on purpose, but it's Daryl Henderson. He he is going in the sixth, seventh round now. Everyone is blowing all of these girly knee issues out of proportion. I think they've shown that, yes, they, they want to lighten girly's workload a little bit, but as of right now, he's healthy, and you have to assume that going into drafts and to spend a sixth round, seventh round pick on a guy who's not even the handcuff right now. He's not the yeah. second second guy. Malcolm Brown is. They match the tender offer for Malcolm Brown to bring him back. They're you know they didn't want to lose him. Yes, they traded up for Daryl Anderson, but Henderson's preseason has been nothing that spectacular and. Meanwhile, Malcolm Brown hasn't played at all. Now, I understand that you the Rams want to see what they have in Henderson, which is likely why they're playing him over and sitting Brown. But it's crazy that Daryl Henderson is getting taken in single-digit rounds and Malcolm Brown is just going straight undrafted in so many leagues. And it's I just think, again, if, if you're specifically if you're drafting Henderson as the handcuff and you already have Gurley, that is a recipe for disaster. But even if you're, you know, he's not going to be a guy that you want to target as a zero running back option because right. his touches aren't guaranteed whatsoever. And it just doesn't really make sense to me. Like, I think there was a ton of hype after the draft for him and all of Gurley's knee concerns that is just sort of carried and not cooled off. Yeah, there's a huge discrepancy there between Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson, so definitely try to take advantage of that if you've got a deeper draft uh, and grab Malcolm Brown in the last round. Uh, did you want to talk about your next guy as well? Yeah, so again, this is Sony Michelle is someone whose situation hasn't really changed, but his draft stock has dropped basically by a round at this point since the end of May, early June. He's not injured right now. He's the lead running back. There are so many great reports coming out of the Patriots camp that he's going to be more involved with the passing game now. You know, we'll see if that actually happens. But, you know, I, I think he's got value now. He's being drafted near his floor. You saw in the playoffs last year when he scored six touchdowns in three playoff games, He's got a high upside because of that. Yeah. The Patriots are going to want to run the ball. Josh Gordon being back will likely open up the, the mm-hmm. run game a little bit more because defenses can't load the box as much. So I just think right now he you're getting him at a value if you're getting him in the fourth round, whether it's PPR or non-PPR. Yeah, I think that some people 
might be fading Michelle because of these new, like with Josh Gordon coming back and the passing offense feeling more fleshed out. But if, you know, they've had running backs that have been touchdown heavy guys like LeGarrette Blunt a few years back. So I think that that can still happen. And we talked about James White a few episodes ago. I was, I was going to say this might make people nervous that their, I think their starting center went to the hospital with a blood clot today. Yeah. So he, he might be out for like this season. He, he was spotted at practice today just viewing. So that's a good sign. Yeah, um, that's good. That he's, he's out and actually healthy. You know what? I, I really like the comparison you make to LeGarrette Blunt, And, you know, this, the, the passing game opening up, just I think it just helps them because they'll be able to get down the field more and get in, into more scoring opportunities and be able to put Sony Michelle on the field more than getting stuck with a third and out and him not accumulating any points. Yeah, I'm glad we're on the same page there because I drafted him in a PPR league. So uh, Moving on to a guy I did not draft and I may or may not be happy about it based on this Andrew Luck news, and that's Marlon Mack. And that was a guy early on in the offseason I was very much wanting to be a breakout candidate. But the more I looked at that tier of running backs, like Fournette, Devontae Freeman, Damian Williams, on Johnson, it seems like for me, Mac has really ended up at the back of that tier, especially now with Andrew Luck not there and the offense is going to be not, uh, have the same scoring upside. However, there is a scenario in which you know, they could move to more of a run-heavy offense. You know, Frank Reich is, you know, uh, coached the Eagles to a Super Bowl, if I'm remembering correctly. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, and they job. had one of the best lines that when they were there. I don't know what the cumulative running stats were for all of those guys when they kind of, you know, split up all the carries. But uh, I think there's still opportunity, but they might run into more negative game scripts, which... You know, and like the reverse of what you said with Michelle is if the passing game's not as great because you've got Jacoby Brissett in there, uh, they might stack the box more against Mac, and he might not be talented enough to actually overcome that. Yeah, I, I think this whole conversation around the Colts and what this luck thing, I, I just want to remind listeners, we, I think our general sense through the big news sort of things is. We're generally not going to cover that because it's something you'll get in most of the other podcasts. We want to talk about a little bit of the lesser known things, but I think just in general, people are overblowing the impact that this could have to the Colts offense. When Jacoby Brissett played for an injured Andrew Luck a couple years ago, he was brought in like three days before the season started. Yeah, It was his second season. Chuck Pagano was the coach. Like it, it was just the offensive line was downright terrible. Like mm-hmm. it was a completely different situation. Now losing Andrew Lux, Andrew Luck is is terrible. Like he was, he was a generational talent. He was an All Pro. Like one of one of the best quarterbacks in the league. But Jacoby Brissett has been in the system for a year now. He's been able to learn Frank Reich's offense throughout this preseason, throughout the offseason, throughout last year. So I, I just think the drop for all of these Colts players is a little bit overblown. Now, that said, I do, you know, I was never a fan of Mac either. I made that very clear earlier in this offseason because he doesn't have a ton of receiving upside. But I, you know, I wouldn't, I still probably wouldn't take him in the fourth, maybe 
closer to the fifth, but I think you could be getting a lot of value in these Colts players. Yeah, with Max specifically, at this point, I'm hoping he falls to like late fourth, early fifth, and, and that it stays overblown because, that, like you said, that's something you could take advantage of. Um, but let's move on to wide receivers. I know you've got a couple, and I've got a um, bringing up some friendship strategies again, strategies again, but I'll let you start. Yeah, so the first guy that I am moving up quite a bit, and I, I was avoiding him a lot earlier in the offseason just because of his high efficiency and everything he did last year, and, and that was Tyler Lockett, and there just wasn't a lot necessarily going for him because, again, you were expecting a ton of regression. The Seahawks are a run-first offense. Like, it's just ridiculous how much they run, but... The more I think about it, DK Metcalf is hurt. So he's likely going to start the season missing a couple games. David Moore is also hurt. So, like, who the hell is Russell Wilson going to throw it to? Like, I, I'm expecting this defense to be a little bit worse than what they were last year. Now, granted, they weren't spectacular last year, but losing Frank Clark can't help them. So I think... They're going to have to pass I think more. they'll have to pass more. And... Tyler Lockett is the guy. Like, Doug Baldwin isn't there anymore. Tyler Lockett's going to get the majority of these targets. Like, I think he's going to get a quarter of the target share at this point. There's nothing... Yeah. Like, their tight ends aren't anything good either. I think it'll be split between Tyler Lockett and the running backs. And then whatever the mishmash yeah. of other receivers there are that get share, you know, each have a 5% market share. So... I, I'm getting more excited about Tyler Lockett. Hell, I've got him above Amari Cooper at this point with Cooper's foot oh, injuries. So, yeah. you know, I just think Lockett's really set up for success in that his volume increase will make up for, make the, up for the regression. Yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned you're having him over Amari. I mean, I feel like that foot thing is uh, clearing up, but in any case, yeah, as you mentioned, DK Metcalf being hurt, David Moore also separated his shoulder in practice. So there's literally seems like no like notable wide receivers there to catch balls. The only guy that it, you know, I like to throw these little like breadcrumbs out every now and then, <laughs> which are things that just keep in mind, not don't actually do anything with it now. But um, I think this time last year, or like if we were fast forwarding two weeks into the season. Will Disley was the talk of the town in Seattle, and then he had a season-ending injury. So if they're starving for targets, or there's you know the mishmash that you mentioned, a lot of that could end up going back to uh, Will Disley. I mean, that was a two-game sample size. Yeah, it was a two-game sample size. So it's not anything that you can actually do with, but keep he's on my radar is what yeah. I'll say. So the wide receiver battle that I want to talk about, and it's not even really a battle, but... Uh, two guys on the same team that are going really close to each other in drafts. And we've talked about this these guys before, and it's Geronimo Allison and Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Now, for the entire offseason, I've thought that Geronimo was higher. He's the guy who's been in the offense longer, but he's gotten hurt, and people are just you know waiting for him to break out and wanting him to be that guy. And now I think the word on the street is Marquez Valdez-Scantling, or MVS for short, is going to be the number two wide receiver in the offense. So he'll be in that Y position and Geronimo Allison's going to be in the Z, like in the slot, which is great when, you know, Packers are a pass heavy offense. That's going to get a lot of targets for Geronimo. But uh, that means 
MVS is probably going to see more snaps, which I think if teams are starting to double Devontae Adams, there's a lot more upside in my mind for MVS to kind of become that breakout guy. Uh, he flashed last year, and that's why he, his ADP is rising. And I think these news or this type of news coming out of Packers camp is you know making it an interesting decision. Like, are you going to take both if you're on the turn? Or which, which one are you going to plant your flag on? And right now, for me, I feel like MVS is almost more intriguing and, and sexy than Geronimo right now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny because I'm actually in the Geronimo Allison camp. I think he, he's going to fit in as the slot guy. Slot targets are a lot more valuable in fantasy football. There have been studies on it. And toot toot, I actually wrote an article comparing Allison and MVS to see which of these guys might be the better option. And throughout this entire offseason, there's been back and forth of, well, Allison's the guy, well, MVS is the guy, and yeah. all that sort of stuff. And I, the more I think about it, I don't think it's going to be a situation like a, a Jordy Nelson-Randall Cobb, a, a, a one-and-a-two sort of situation like we've had in the past with the Packers. I think it's going to be Devontae Adams clearly at the top, mm-hmm. and then these two guys sort of cannibalizing each other's stuff. They'll they'll at the end of the season they'll have some you know some good stats. They they might both end up in the top thirty six receivers, top thirty receivers even because I trust Aaron Rodgers that much. And they'll both have boom weeks, but I don't know if they'll be they'll turn into the top fifteen second receiver in Green Bay that a lot of people might expect to happen like they had in the past. Now, I think both of them are talented enough to do that, but it might take an injury to one or the other for that to truly play out that way. And it's, I'm not staying away from them for that reason. I think they still both have upside and especially where you're getting them in drafts, they're more, they're more of a, a flex option in your lineup, which Again, you want the boom type of players, the players that could go off for yeah. two touchdowns in any given week. And if you want that, you're going to want that with the Packers offense, no less. So right. I I just don't think it's a situation, though, like, you know, I mean, Chris Godwin's an extreme example, but he's clearly the second guy. It's like DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel is clearly the second guy in that offense. Yeah. So I think they'll be cannibalizing each other's targets a little bit more than people expect yeah that's a good point and my only other note on this is that I think both of us would have either of these guys on our team over uh, the Steelers guys Dante Moncrief and James Washington at this point it just seems like things are a little bit more well known Um, yeah yeah the Steelers might lean on like a James Conner more in in their newer scenario that they've got this year but yeah I guess we'll see um, so my other receiver is a guy we talked about a couple weeks ago, actually, and that's D.D. Westbrook. Now, I'd ah, like to yes. preface that this has nothing to do with anything you said. This is okay. all to do with everything you didn't say, which is the preseason st- uh, stats that he had in week three. He put up a great stat line. He got a lot of targets from Foles. It clearly seems like he's the number one option in this offense, and I, you know, earlier, I did say that uh, earlier this <laughs> earlier this off season, I 
spoke of the horror story when I drafted Kelvin Benjamin last year because he was the guy in Buffalo and who else is going to get the targets and I sort of liken that to D.D. Westbrook because again it's not a spectacular offense by any means people are just sort of slotting him into this number one receiver role for the Jaguars which I still I like I don't know I'm just getting goosebumps like Tink, like, ugh, like, like a bad, bad tingly like, feeling. Yeah, I, don't know, I feel gross talking about <laughs> him, but it, it's, <clears throat> it's starting to feel like he actually is gonna be the guy, and it's not just fantasy pundits putting him in this role. It's the team showing us that he is the guy. I, I don't know if I'll have any draft stock in him, but two or three weeks into the season, if we continue to see that same trajectory where he is far and above main target getter in that offense yeah then i might be trying to make a a trade for him yeah that that's something that you know i'm i'd love to have him in the eighth round but i feel like every draft i've been in so far he's actually getting taken ahead of that now so that's tough is that his value is going up but that shows that people think it's legit the public believes in it um and one thing i heard today that you didn't mention is john Filippo said that D.D. Westbrook's the best route runner he's ever coached. And he's coached up, he's coached up uh, Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. So uh, talking about slotting him into the wide receiver one, he's going to be in that slot receiver role. And you just said when you talked about Allison that those are really great targets. So I think that he's got the right make and mold for that role. I'm, I am really excited about him, and I'm glad that you're starting to come around on him as well. All right, so our last position that we're going to cover is the tight end position, and we've got a pair of AFC North tight ends to talk about. So why don't you talk us through Mr. David Njoku and how you're feeling about him? Yeah, he's always a guy that I've had an eye on because of his talent, and obviously Baker and Njoku will be exciting throughout the season when we actually see it, but I think you can say what you want about not believing the too many mouths to feed argument that you've mentioned in the past, but there is a point where the reps on the field become finite. And that means that there's only a certain amount of targets that OBJ can get. There's only a certain amount of carries and targets that Nick Chubb's going to get. And then that kind of leaves Njoku out on an Island. Unless he outscores Jarvis Landry or gets more looks than Landry, uh, then you could go that route and still think he's good. But from what I've seen in ADP, it looks like he's falling. And for me, that means uh, there's guys that have more opportunity all to themselves, like a Vance McDonald, that I would be more happy drafting. Yeah, I mean, I think Njoku's still going to be... I, at the end of the year, I would put my money that he has the third most targets on this team, at least. Because Older and Jr. is going to be number one. And then I think it's a toss-up between him and Jarvis Landry. Now they want—they're likely going to be forced into giving Nick Chubb some targets. But once Kareem Hunt comes back, that likely won't happen. That you know, Kareem Hunt might take over that passing work for the running backs. But then in like the second half of the year, there could actually be more passes to but the it, running back if Chubb can't catch. But I think Chubb could receive, like, has receiving ability. Yes, so I I get your point. I think there are some tight ends with 
a higher ceiling, but he certainly isn't the worst option to have. He's going to be in an explosive offense. If, if you're buying into Baker and you're buying into the Browns, then you just want a piece of that offense. Like, I, and he's the cheapest of that bunch to have for sure. So I, if, if you want a part of it, but you're not willing to spend a ton on Oda Beckham, who has barely finished 16 games in his career, or Jarvis Landry, who didn't perform very well last year, then look to David Njoku because he's he's in his third year now. He's going to be, you know, hopefully taking that next step and moving his way into a great role. Yeah, that's a good point. And I am high on the Browns in general, so I, I appreciate that analysis. What I'll say is I used to have him up in that tier with uh, O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram, Hunter Henry. And now it seems like he's kind of fallen you know, behind Vance McDonald and uh, maybe a couple other guys in draft. So I, my only caution personally is just making sure I'm not overdrafting Najoku. Yeah. And I would, I would be happy with him at his average draft position. Yeah, that's a fair point and actually leads well into my tight end who is Mark Andrews. And this is a guy who, again, I, I've sort of been a little down on recently. Technically, Nick Boyle is the tight end one on the Ravens depth chart <laughs> now. Whether that it stays that way going into the regular season, it's unlikely to know. Like Some of the snap counts and targets throughout the preseason haven't gone in his direction so I I think in the past where I was maybe willing to reach for him a round or two to get him because I, I I mean he showed last year that he was Lamar Jackson's favorite target I'm I guess I'm okay taking him where he's at now I I wouldn't be upset if I got him and he was the 13th or 14th tight end off the board and he was my starting guy like at that point I've got so much at my other positions and I've totally just punch of the position where he if he breaks out great if not I drop him and try and find someone else to replace him so he's just someone I again was was fairly high on I think I had him in my top 10 at one point because I was excited but then again all, all the offseason with the, with the preseason performances or, or lack thereof and the fact that they've got several other tight ends on this roster I think it has brought me down on him a little bit more. Yeah, that that's the funny thing with Lamar Jackson. That's the one thing that, you know, I think the offense is catered to him, and but then we don't know who's going to be his favorite target yet. So Mark Andrews is a good late-round flyer, but we don't know at all yet. And it's going to, I think, be more of like a waiver-wire situation to find out, like, well, is Willie Sneed actually worth having on, on your bench? Is it going to be... Uh, Miles Boykin or something like that. It, there's it, there's no telling like who's going to be the favorite target right now. I think I'm, he's just going to spread it everywhere. Yeah, I mean this is this is a buy the cake and not the icing situation where you really only want Lamar Jackson because he's going to be thrown around. He gets to decide who's getting the ball, and you don't know who the hell is going to be taking all the targets in that offense. So I think it's Mark Andrews has some stuff going for him, but. Definitely not as much as he did a couple months ago. All right, so we have one final treat for you, speaking of icing, and that's going to be just a few hot takes from us that we will follow <laughs> later in the year and see if we're 
uh, anywhere near those hot takes. I think in general, hot takes don't have a lot of accountability to them, so we can just kind of throw out whatever we want and then and then see if we're right. But things that we at least are scenarios we think could happen. So if you want to start, I'll by all means go ahead. So my first one is related to the Titans offense that I have profusely shit on this entire <laughs> off season and. Wah, wah. Part, the, the hot take is that I think Deion Lewis outscores Derrick Henry, and this is in half PPR leagues. And I just, you know, whether Derrick Henry gets hurt or they're forced to throw the ball more to Deion Lewis, I just, Derrick Henry got so much from those last four games of the season last year mm-hmm. that if he hadn't, Lewis might have outscored him. So I'm not excited about this offense anymore, but. And anymore at all. I never was. <laughs> but I, I, I seriously think Deion Lewis could outscore Derrick Henley, and that's my hot take is that he does. It is really hard to be excited about anything on this offense with uh, the Garner. Mariota. Make sure we're recording this, okay? <laughs> the Mariota-Tannehill situation is just oh, so a fucking shit show, and... It really it makes me not want to take Corey Davis even anymore. I'm going crazy here. So this is actually kind of funny, uh, a sidebar. So on NFL.com, they have some polls at the bottom of their page. And the poll today was who has the strongest QB situation in 2019. Now, the four teams that they had listed were the Kansas City Chiefs, the New England Patriots, the New Orleans Saints, and the Tennessee Titans. Tell me. Which of those four teams does not belong in this conversation? What the hell? It's the Tennessee Titans. Like, I don't understand, like, how they think that's... Let me vote for the Titans. No, I want to see what percentage comes up. They they got 5% somehow when I voted for the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, I don't know how they had 5%. They should have gotten negative 10% because they are nowhere near the best quarterback situation in the league. So, anyway, that's a sidebar. (laughs) Why don't we get into your first hot take? For this season. Yeah, so mine, I uh, have, you know, brought them up early on. I think it was our first episode or part of that four-pack where we talked about the tight ends. And I'm still very interested in seeing this happen. It's probably something I'm rooting for more than actually um, expecting, you know, to expecting to happen. But I think Austin Hooper can be a top five tight end. Uh, we saw him last year. He's number six tight end. So <laughs> last year's stats clearly can indicate something for this year's stats. But in reality, I, I know I heard the fantasy footballers mention this too. Like Austin Hooper has the highest catch rate of any tight end last year. I believe is at seventy-seven percent. So if Matt Ryan continues to look his way in a dirt cutter offense that seemed to be pretty, uh, you know, amenable to the likes of OJ Howard and Cameron Brait. I think that that gives him an option to, or gives uh, Hooper an opportunity to go to the next level as Dan Quinn said that he could. And so that's why I think, you know, a lot of, there's those top tight ends and then the rest is a slog. Austin Hooper can rise above that to be a top five tight end. Well, this is a, a perfect segue into my second hot take. And that's that two of the top three drafted tight ends finish outside of the top five. So that's, Two of Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Zach Ertz finish outside the top five. Now, people are investing so much into these tight ends. I've made it clear that I don't really want a part of 
investing that much into a tight end because you're expecting them to do what they did last year and all of them put up historical seasons. Travis Kelsey broke the receiving yards record for a tight end and then 20 minutes later, George Kittle <laughs> broke his record. So in one season, the pass or the receiving record got broken twice. Zach Ertz, on the other hand, broke the rece- reception record for tight ends last year. He had more receptions last year than he had targets in any other season before that. So it's... I like that. These guys are all <laughs> screaming re- regression. You know, Travis Kelsey obviously is the least likely of this group to fall out of the top five. He's shown that in two of the past three years, he's been the number one tight end. So he's got that pedigree. He's got Patrick Mahomes. But I I just don't think these guys are certainly going to live up to the capital that you're putting into them and have a shot with, with Austin Hooper, with uh, Hunter Henry, O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram, you know, all these yeah. guys sort of creeping behind them and ready to break out into into the top three, there's just a, a bigger chance that they fall out of the top five then. Yeah, man. If Dallas Goddard starts vulturing targets and touchdowns from Ertz, that I am too. going to go AWOL. I mean, Absolutely it, AWOL. And that's I, the thing. Like, the 49ers and Eagles both have a ton more competition than they did last year. The Eagles have... Deshaun Jackson, a new, you know, Dallas Goddard in his second year. They, you know, Alshon Jeffries back healthy. So the 49ers brought in like two or three receivers from the draft. Like it's it's just set up for them to regress quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, I, de- I, I don't totally enjoy that hot take as it helps me with the Austin Hooper ascension. <laughs> uh, I've got a guy who I believe can regress as well. And that is Drew Brees, who my hot... And within my hot take, I believe Drew Brees finishes outside the top 20 QBs. Damn! That's got to be the hottest one. We talk about, or we talked about earlier that they've got Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. And they had this 75-yard drive where those two did 100% of the work. I, I, I can't see that flying throughout the entire season. We saw a lot of great games for Brees last year. We saw a lot of bad games. We saw a lot of single-digit games for Breeze, yeah. and that scares me to death in terms of drafting him. And there's a lot of guys we think in the late rounds have these higher floors or that they're, everyone's going to take the next step. It's very likely that if Father Time comes for Drew Breeze this year, where he's basically padding his stats now, you know, he could end up getting hurt, like you mentioned with Derrick Henry, uh, because he's older, more brittle, and... I, I think that there's going to be some growing pains there. I mean, I guess it's not growing pains since they're already veterans, but and they've got a good thing between that three-headed monster of him, Kamara, and Thomas. But you got to imagine that the defense figures that out at some point. Yeah, I, I mean, it's pretty crazy. Last year was the first season that he had under 4,000 yards passing in – a long time yeah and it seems like it seemed like he was sort of a lock for that each year you know hell he was a lock for 4,500 yards so if the touchdowns go down a bit he definitely has a chance to finish outside the top 20 and you know how much the Saints like to use their running backs in in the red zone Latavius Murray that is there now Alvin Kamara is going to scoop up 50 Mm -hmm. touchdowns in the red zone so 
Um, it's it's definitely the hottest take, but I I don't know. I could see it happening. I mean, I was trying to make it like more than habanero hot, like <laughs> ghost pepper hot Ooh. here. So. It, I mean, what's more likely is that he finishes at, like, QB 15, but you hate how he got there. Yeah. Because it's going to be some home games where he goes absolutely nuts. And uh, most of the games, he's not getting you that 20 points a week that you would like to see from him. So that's why I'll, I'll stick with, uh, you know, outside the top 20. All right. That's some good stuff. Everybody ready for their drafts now? I hope so. Oh, yeah. I know you are. I, I better be. We've, we've got a tough one coming up on Sunday because you're going to be in there. Yes. i got to make sure you're not uh, renting space in my head yeah. all weekend. We've got our League of Record draft on Sunday. We will be recording another episode next week. And we're actually going to be new, moving to a new schedule next week. We'll be dropping our episodes on Wednesday. So quick scheduling note for the regular season. We're going to be recording on Monday nights during Monday Night Football so you can potentially get some live reactions out of us <laughs> <I> can't wait <laughs> and posting our episodes on wednesday so good luck with your drafts good luck kicking ass go out there and make sure the kick is good and follow at pod after td on twitter two touchdowns for brown and they give it to him again oh, he the ball and look is there Across the goal line. 29.